with you once again. I'm really glad to be here today because I've seen these things up here for the last few weeks, and today is the day. kind of makes me wish I was a little kid all over again and come back to Bible school. I can remember going to Bible school when I was a little kid, I'm sure many of you as well, and uh, it's always a, a highlight of the year. I'd like you to open up your Bibles, please, uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, and I think this will be a pretty familiar passage to you. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, I'd like to invite you to go on a little bit of a sentimental uh, journey uh, with me uh, today. I met my wife, Jeannie, when, we, when I was going through seminary. Uh, she was fr- she's from Ohio, but she had moved to Dallas to uh, work there as a nurse, and we got involved in the same church, Schofield Memorial Church in Dallas, Texas, and we were in the same uh, Sunday school class with, with young uh, single adults, and uh, that's where we met each other, and actually we had known each other for over a year before we ever started dating, and when we finally did have a few dates, it kind of got off to a slow start because I liked her, well, but she didn't like me, and that's another story for another day, but uh, anyways, we got through that. Um, Actually, I got seriously ill. I had mono. I didn't realize it, and my spleen had swollen and ruptured on me sitting at breakfast uh, one morning, and I went into the hospital. I had to have surgery. Uh, but after that, things started to click. Jeannie has a gift of mercy, and I think that just awakened her gift of mercy towards me, and uh, things went well after that. But that was in the springtime, and that summer, uh, we were going different directions for the summer. She was taking a trip to Israel, and I went off to serve at a little Baptist church halfway up the coast of Maine, doing a, a pastoral internship uh, for four months. Uh, up there that summer. So I began to write letters, and I have them with me today. These are the letters that I, you can see it's quite a thick stack of, of letters that I sent her that summer, and thankfully she responded to them, and I got letters back. And as I wrote these letters, I would pour out my heart to her. I would tell her about my hopes and dreams. I would tell her the things I was doing, and and in one of these letters, and it's actually, I put it on the top here, I actually declared my love to her for the very, very first time. We were a long ways away from each other. I won't read you the letter. It's personal. But uh, just imagine with me for a moment if Jeannie had gotten all these letters but never opened them. Or maybe she would open and read a few of them and then just kind of throw it on her dresser and, and leave it there. Or, or maybe she just kind of, oh, I'm another letter from Stan. And she'd just open it up and give it a quick glance and maybe read a sentence or two, you know, and just say, well, I'll get back to the rest of it some other time. But then she never really would. Well, you can imagine that if that had been 
true, uh, I think it's safe to say our relationship probably would have ended up going uh, nowhere. Now, thankfully, uh, I didn't double check this morning, but I'm pretty sure every one of these letters has been opened and uh, read and uh, responded to. But unfortunately, that's not always true of the love letters that God has sent to us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, love letters, you say, you know, absolutely. Okay, this, this book that we hold in our hands uh, called uh, The Word of God, uh, the Bible, is 66 love letters uh, written to us, pouring out God's heart to us, sharing all his hopes and dreams for, for us, and telling us what's on his mind and expressing his uh, love to us over and over and over again. So the question today is, what have you done with God's love letters written to you? Have you read them? Have you read all of them? Have you read them carefully, okay, digesting each word? Have you treasured them up in your heart? Or perchance have some of God's love letters to you been so far, for the most part, pretty much completely ignored and just sort of left there to read maybe someday. Maybe you've just read a sentence or two uh, in, in some of these love letters, but you've left vast portions of them unopened. It's a treasure trove. It's waiting there to be discovered, but you haven't discovered it yet. You've never really read it yet. Or maybe you have read it, but, or at least read a lot of it, but, and, and maybe you've even read it all. I'm sure many of you have, but have you ever come back? To read it again, you know, starting at the beginning, working through to the end, cover to cover. I don't think once through is just enough. Some of these letters, I'm kind of hoping that Jeannie would read more than one time, especially this one there in the top, you know. I want her to read those. I wanted her to read those more than once. God wants us to read his word. And I'd like to suggest to you that uh, you start reading, if you haven't already, many of you I'm sure are doing this already, but if you haven't, I'd like to encourage you to start reading systematically through the Bible a little bit every day and just never stop. It may be said of you that you are a man or, or a woman or a boy or a girl of, of God's word. Now, why should we do this? Okay, Why is this so important? Why do we need God's word? Well, first of all, because it forms the foundation for all we believe. And I want you to uh, look in your Bible in verse 14. It says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So that prompts the question, what have we learned? Okay, and, what, and where have we learned it? And, and what have we firmly believed? Where does it all come from? Well, it comes for us, our faith comes from the Word of God, the, the B-I-B-L-E. Okay, and when I was in vacation Bible school, a couple hundred years ago, I remember learning that song, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Do you know that song? I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And it's a, it's a vacation Bible school song. Maybe there's some songs that the kids will learn here this week that they'll remember until they're an old man too. But it's, that's the foundation for us. And way back during the Protestant uh, Reformation, uh, in Latin, they had several rallying cries. And one of them was sola scriptura, which meant scripture alone, God's word alone. That was their authority. 
Uh, our authority is not based on church history. It is not based on the traditions of men. It is not based on the thoughts or pronouncements of various church leaders. It's not based on our experience. It's not based on my opinions. It's not based on anything other than the Word of God. So the Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. That is a core statement. I believe that with all my heart. I hope you do too. I trust you do. Okay, it is the foundation for everything we believe. Now, Billy Graham, as you know, went to be with the Lord this year, but he was uh, famous uh, for prefacing so many of his statements with these words, three words. You know what they are? The Bible says. Have you heard him say that? The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and he didn't even feel like he had to prove the, the authority of the Bible. He just believed it, and he, he based his life on that. And he had it right. And if the Bible says it, that's all the authority we need. There's another little song I haven't heard for quite a while that says, uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. And uh, one time someone said, you know, we could probably even shorten that a little bit. God said it, and that settles it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I believe it or not, it's still, it's still true. So the Bible is our standard for testing everything else that we claim to be true. It is the absolute truth. It is the final authority. It is the ultimate standard by which everything else in this world can be judged as either right or wrong. It's not the opinions of men. They change. It's not what the Supreme Court says. It's not what the government says. It's what God's Word says, and that does not change. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, where we are right at the moment, exhorts us to continue in this truth. Okay? What you learned in, in Bible school or, or in grade school is not enough. Maybe you learned a few verses when you were a new Christian. Well, great, I'm glad you did, but you can't stop there. You need so much more. And even if you've been reading the Bible for years and years and years, that doesn't mean you've got enough of it, okay? and you don't need it anymore. And I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, and I thought of food. Uh, most of us have eaten quite a bit of food in our lifetime. Have you ever thought about how big a pile it would make if you took all the food you've ever eaten and you put it, I mean, you could just cover the platform, and we've eaten it all. I would think most of us would say we've probably eaten enough food in our lifetime. From the look of us, maybe too much, okay? But, you know, would we say to ourselves, you know, uh, I think I've probably eaten enough food in my life. I don't think I need to eat food anymore. Uh, <laughs> it really doesn't matter how much uh, we've had in the past, we are going to need food until the day we die. And if we stop eating, we're going to very quickly find ourselves very weak with no strength to do anything. And the same is true with the Word of God. It doesn't matter how much you've read it in the past. Okay? Our need for God's Word doesn't dissipate with, with time. And if you stop reading God's Word and stop exposing yourself to God's truth, you're going to very quickly uh, find yourself very weak with no spiritual strength and, and ready to stumble and fall. So we need a lifelong commitment to reading and studying the Word of God. We also need God's Word because we have learned it from faithful men and women. And I want you to look again at verse 14. It says there in the middle of the verse, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Okay, now this was a letter written to Timothy, okay? So Paul's getting personal here. He said, Timothy, ever since you were a little guy, 
okay? You've been exposed to the word of God. So where did Timothy first learn the word of God? Okay, well, if you could just turn back maybe a page to uh, chapter 1 of the same book we're in here, verse 5, Paul tells Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy first learned God's word from two godly women, okay, his, his grandmother and his mother, and I'm sure they prayed for him and they recited scripture to him and they, they, they sang to him, and they taught him to read, probably using the Bible. They built his whole life, from the time he was a little guy, upon the Word of God. And, I, and I'll just say here, so I praise the Lord for, for godly mothers and fathers and grandmothers and, and grandfathers, and maybe even great-grandmothers and grandfathers who are faithful in teaching the Word to those who fall along behind them. Now the flip side of that is, if you're a parent... Uh, you've got to recognize that it is your responsibility for leading your children to Christ and teaching them in the Lord. Okay, it's not ultimately the church's responsibility. Now, they can help you, and I'm sure they will and do, but it is not up to them. Okay? It's not up to your children's Sunday school teachers. It's not up to vacation Bible school. It's not up to the Iwana leaders. It's not up to the youth group. It's not up to the Bible quizzing team or whatever, okay, it is really ultimately up to you as, as a mom or dad. And all those other people would love to be able to help you with that, but the responsibility belongs to you. And a parent's work is, is vitally important. But there's somebody else who taught Timothy as well, and we learn about that, in, again, in the same book, chapter 2, verse 2. And Paul tells Timothy, what you have heard from me, he says, from Paul, in the, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there was a time when, when Paul entered into Timothy's life. He had already trusted Christ and grown in, in him a lot as a young man. But now Paul came along and, and really uh, poured himself into him. And he learned a whole lot more from, from Paul. And you just might ask yourself the question, who have you learned God's word from? Okay, maybe your parents, if you were blessed to have Christian parents. Maybe from someone else who led you to faith in Christ. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a youth leader who really made a difference in your life. Maybe it was a missionary. Maybe it was a pastor. Okay, but here's the question I want to ask you. For the most part, those people who, who poured into your life spiritually, would you say, for the most part, that they were trustworthy individuals I know they're not perfect, okay, but for the most part, would you say they are trustworthy? Are there things in their lives worth emulating? And if the Word of God has been effective in changing their lives, it can be effective in changing yours as well. Now, verse 15 says that Timothy had known the Holy Scriptures from childhood, okay? So when do you start? Okay, well, as soon as they're born. And i got to show you a picture I saw this week. Okay, my daughter-in-law posted this picture on Facebook. Okay, and I know you can't see her face. This is my uh, third grandchild, uh, Kaylee. She's just five months old. And can you see what she's doing? (laughs) 
she is not really reading the book. She's probably just looking at the pictures, but her mom has got her there in a little Bible uh, devotion book. This is on Facebook. And the comment she attached to the picture was, starting early baby devotions, okay? And uh, I know I've got a really soft place in my heart for, for all my kids and grandkids, but this picture just makes me melt. Feed your children on a steady diet of God's Word. And you don't have to ask, when should I start? If you've got children, start. If you've got grandchildren, maybe it's going to fall to you. Start, okay? Don't wait. And, and I would say teach them to have a, a daily quiet time. That's something when I first came to Christ, I was 20 years old when I came to Christ, but uh, someone taught me early on that I needed to try to spend time with the Lord every day. And I would start teaching your children that very, very early. Now here again, think about this. Uh, when you want to teach your children habits that they're going to have their whole life, when do you start? Okay? Let's take brushing their teeth. Okay? If you want them to brush their teeth, do you start when they're 18 years old? Oh, hey, you're 18 now. Hey, this is a toothbrush. This is toothpaste. I want to show you what to do with it. No, you start a whole lot earlier than that. Okay, how about teaching them to do their chores, okay, or to pick up their things, or to say please and thank you. Do you wait until they're 10 years old? Do you wait until they're 5 years old? No, you start teaching those things as soon as you can because you want them to become lifelong habits. So I would say, I would take the same principle and apply it with, with the Word of God, okay? When should you start teaching your children to read the Word of God, okay? Is it important? Do we want it to become a lifelong habit? Well, of course we do, okay? So I would say start out with an age-appropriate uh, Bible or devotional or whatever you have as soon as they know how to read. And in Kaylee's case, even before she's reading, she's got the picture books. She's getting it early on. And yes, I would have them read their Bible every day. Okay, and I'm going to tell you something. You might find yourself objecting at first, but I'm going to try to answer that objection. Should you make them read their Bible? Should you require it of them? I would say absolutely. Okay. Now, I can just hear someone say, oh, well, but if I make them do it, then they're going to rebel against it, and, and, and I don't want that to happen. So I'm just going to hope that they'll want to do this on their own. I don't, want, I don't want to force them. Well, I would say parenting doesn't really work like that. Uh, you expect a lot of things from your children that they don't always want to do. Uh, those of you in the room who are parents, do your children always want to go to school in the morning? Probably not. Do you require them to? I would assume most of you do. Uh, why? Because it's important. And even though they don't realize it necessarily, they need to do this. This is going to help them as they become responsible adults. What about getting out of bed in the morning? Okay, do your children always want to get out of bed in the morning? Do they always want to brush their teeth? Do they always want to eat their vegetables? Do they always want to do the right thing? Well, no. But you require that of them. You expect that of them. Because you want them to learn those habits early on. So I would say teach your children to have a daily quiet time. And no, I would not make it optional. I would, have you read your Bible yet today? Well, you need to go do that. Oh, but mom, I don't want to. It doesn't matter if you want to. It's important. And I would encourage you to, to have them, have, require that of them. But please don't require it of them if you're not doing it yourself, okay? 
Because if you're not doing it yourself, they're going to quickly realize that this is really not important to you at all. So make sure it's important to you and then teach them to make it important to them. And yes, bring them to Sunday school. And yes, bring them to vacation Bible school. And yes, get them involved in Awana and bring them to youth group and encourage them to serve in the Bible quizzing team. By, by the way, I was so impressed with that quizzing team. The first time I was here, they gave a little demonstration over here and I thought, wow, these are sharp young people. They know this stuff. And just because they spend time pouring in the Word of God. I, that impressed me right from the, from the beginning there. So young or old, we, we need to learn to breathe the Bible and, and bleed Bible. And we need to be just so saturated with the Bible that it just flows from us. And you prick us and we're going to bleed Bible. And if we take this passage seriously, then we must say that the great need of Christians everywhere is to become truly biblical in our thinking. And that is not true, even of the majority of Christians, at least in this country. A lot of people are Christians, and they may be genuinely Christian, but that doesn't mean they think biblically. They don't always have a biblical worldview. And we need to be so immersed in the Word of God that it just pours out of us. We will never outgrow our need for the word so we dare not live on yesterday's knowledge now i know if you've been a christian for a while you've read the bible a lot you've heard a lot of sermons you've been to a lot of sunday school lessons uh, you've done a lot of devotions and it's easy to say well i pretty much got this now you know i don't really need it anymore but that is where the slide begins. And I just encourage you, just renew your commitment to reading it. All right, another reason why we need God's Word is because it leads us to salvation. And look at verse 15, okay? What do we know that the Scriptures can do? Well, it says in verse 15 that they are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's the, the good news, uh, that it's not our good works or sincere efforts, but our faith in Christ and that produces salvation. And that faith begins as we hear the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. A fourth reason we need God's word is because it is breathed out by God. It is inspired by God. Look at verse 16. Here's a verse you should have memorized. I actually first memorized it in a different translation, but I'll, I'll read it here. All scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture. Not just some of it, okay? Not most of it, every word. I have heard people making the mistake before of saying that the Bible contains God's word. Okay, that I believe is the wrong way to consider it. The Bible doesn't just contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. There is not one unreliable word in the Bible. And there's actually a very interesting word used here to explain that. It's actually the only place in the whole Bible uh, where this word is used. In Greek, is, the word is theopneustos, and uh, many uh, fine Bible translations uh, put this word as inspired, and that's a great way 
to translate it. But literally, the word, if you break it down, literally means breathed out by God. And that's the way uh, the ESV that I'm using here this morning puts that. It means that God breathed out the words and Moses wrote them down. God breathed out the words and David wrote them down. God breathed out the words and Daniel and Matthew and Paul and Peter and John wrote them down. And it's not inspired in the same way uh, that, for example, Shakespeare maybe you would say was an inspired writing. You know, Shakespeare maybe wrote some wonderful plays, but, but Moses and these others wrote down the very words of God. And the difference is total and complete. In other words, the Spirit of God spoke through the human authors of Scripture in such a way that their words did not come from themselves, but they came uh, from the very mouth of God as they spoke and wrote in the Holy Spirit. Look at this passage in Second Peter. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, God uses human beings. He delights in doing that. It's a mystery to me why he uses broken vessels like us, but he does. And when he used the, the biblical authors, uh, he used their personalities. He used their style of, of writing. And it's all incorporated in the Scripture, but God superintended over it in such a way uh, in the writing of Scripture that every word was directly from him. That means that every verse of Scripture is completely without error uh, in, the, in the original manuscripts. And the, and the Bible is not just a collection of stories and fables and myths and merely human ideas about God. It's not a human book. It's not a book like any other book. Uh, but through the process of inspiration, it's written by God himself, and so it's completely trustworthy and completely authoritative. Now, sometimes you'll run across some fancy words that theologians have used to describe the inspiration of Scripture. You can see them there on the screen. Verbal, which means the very words of Scripture are inspired, not just the thoughts, but the words themselves. Plenary, that's a word we hardly ever use anymore, means in all its parts, every aspect of it. It's infallible, it's all true, it's reliable, it's completely trustworthy, and it's inerrant. Okay? It is completely without error. Now this uh, applies to the original manuscripts, which we don't actually have anymore. That could be a subject for another day. But through the science of what's called textual criticism, we have very, very, very accurate Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic texts of the original Scripture in our hands today. Now, why make such a big deal over biblical inspiration? Because your view of the Bible will affect everything else you believe. As soon as you say that one word of the Bible is not true, or one verse of the Bible is corrupted and we just, it's not true, you open the door, you open the floodgates for all kinds of error. And pretty soon, who's to decide? Well, you know, you say you don't like this verse, and so you think, well, that probably wasn't in the original. I don't like this verse. Well, God didn't really mean to say that. And pretty soon, it's like, what's left? Your whole foundation is is left in in tatters. And who's going to decide what's true and what isn't? And pretty soon, it's like in the days of the judges when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And if we lose the battle here, okay, everything else is going to crumble in time. So if the Bible is not completely true, 
and completely authoritative, well, then you can believe whatever you want, and I guarantee your theology will take a nosedive very, very quickly. But we don't need God's word just because of our theology. We also need it because it is profitable. It's not just empty knowledge with no purpose. In fact, if you're reading or studying the Word of God and you're not applying it in your life in any way, you're violating the purpose for which God gave it. It is meant to be applied. How? Well, verse 16 gives us four ways. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, Let's start with teaching. How would you use the Word of God in your teaching? Okay? Well, our teaching has got to be founded upon the Word of God. And if it's not built on the Word of God, it's just our opinion. And if it's not supported by Scripture, we don't have any reason to accept it. It's like a house that doesn't have any foundation. It's just not going to It's just not going to stand. And, and Paul constantly, as, as he was writing, he was reinforcing his messages constantly with quotations from, from the Old Testament. And, and that is one of the reasons why I believe so strongly in expository preaching. And maybe that's a new phrase to you. I don't know if it is or not. Expository preaching is where, you, where you, you preach or you teach directly from God's Word. And you just basically are going down through the text and, and explaining the meaning and, and, and how it applies in our lives. And if, I know you're in the process, obviously, of looking for a new pastor. And I would put a commitment to expository preaching right near the top of the list in what you're looking for and the next man that's going to come to lead you. Now, surprisingly, it is quite rare, uh, even in in Christian circles, but in my opinion, uh, there are a few things uh, more important. And uh, you are a Bible church, after all, so don't ever lose your commitment to the priority of God's Word. Because this is the book that will change our life. This is the book where God himself is speaking to us. This is the book. Okay, the only book okay, where we can find perfect, absolute, infallible truth. This is the book of books. Okay, there is nothing else remotely like it. And the Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy to preach the word. To preach the word. And the word is this book. And all Scripture, because it's inspired, breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching and for preaching. It's profitable in my life. It's profitable in your life. And all of our teaching has got to be anchored solidly to the Word of God. Now, Scripture is also useful for reproof. In other words, uh, addressing those who are in sin and revealing that by the clear standard of God's Word. Because Scripture gives us the ultimate and the only and the final standard of what's right and wrong. Now, you are well aware that in our culture today, the standards of right and wrong are changing constantly. And what is right and wrong uh, today may be viewed differently by society next year. And you can go backwards, and it's just just the world is, is upside down, okay? But there's really one and only one authority for what's right and wrong, and it's right here in God's Word. And God wants us to use Scripture in each other's lives uh, for reproof to draw us in line with His Word. 
And, it, and if we're doing that, it's really not us doing the reproving, but God himself doing that through his word. Correction is a little bit different. It's not speaking to sin quite as much as it is to error. And the focus here is on taking someone who has fallen in some way and maybe setting them back up on their feet. And training in righteousness is more proactive, using Scripture to guide believers into the ways of God. And the ultimate reason why we need God's Word is because then it equips us for good works. And that's the last verse. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Earlier in this same letter to Timothy, uh, Paul said, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And if you're familiar with the Awana program, you guys do have Awana here, right? Okay. Uh, that's where they, the word Awana comes from. Uh, approved workmen are not ashamed. It's from this verse. And good works are why we are created in the first place. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And because the Bible comes directly from God, it equips us to do every good work. So do you want to know God's will? Well, study the Bible. Do you want to fulfill your mission in life? Study the Bible. Do you want to live a better life? Study the Bible. Do you want freedom from, from sin? Well, yeah, we all do. Study the Bible. Do you want God to be pleased with your life? Yeah, I do. Well, then we need to study the Bible. Do you want to better serve others? Yeah, I hope. Study the Bible. It will tell you everything you need to know. Now, if a soldier is going into battle, he needs the right equipment in order to win the fight. And I brought something here with me today. You'll recognize it. It's a sword. I was glad they didn't make me check my weapons at the door. I would have lost my sermon illustration, okay? You know, for a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what makes the difference for us. Okay, but we've got to pull it out of its sheath to use it properly. Now, the Bible describes the Word of God as a sword, okay? It's the sword of the Spirit. It's our only really offensive weapon in the fight that God has for us, okay? But if I'm a soldier going into battle, and I just leave this here by my side and I never pull it out of my sheath, what am I going to have to fight with? Nothing to fight with. I mean, well, it's a great sword. I mean, look how shiny it is, you know, nice scabbard and all that, you know. But if it's just sitting there, it's no good. The only way this sword is ever going to be good to a soldier is if he pulls it out and wields it. And the same is true for us with the Word of God. Now, you love the Word of God, okay? I know you love the Word of God. I'm sure of that, okay? I'm sure you've got great Bibles, you know, all kinds of study Bibles you've got. You've probably got all kinds of Bibles at home, okay? But they don't do any good if you don't unsheathe them, if you don't open them up and, and read them. We've got to unsheathe the Word of God in our lives and use it. Now, I want to take you back to my seminary days once again. I was at Dallas Seminary, and uh, Dr. Richard Sumi at that time was the chaplain at Dallas Seminary. He's been with the Lord now for, for a number of years. And every student had to meet with a chaplain uh, once a year. And I remember when my first turn came, I went in to uh, Dr. Sumi's 
office and uh, sat down for my interview. I was a little bit intimidated by this godly old saint. And he addressed me and he said, son, he called everybody son. Okay, he's older than everybody, I'm sure. Okay, son, I want to show you something. And he proceeded to pick up an old tattered Bible from off his desk. And he opened it up and he turned to the back page, not one of the pages of Scripture itself, but a blank page inside the back cover of his Bible that had been filled with, I don't know how many, scores of, of little uh, hash marks, little tally marks there on the page. And he said, do you know what these are? I said, no, sir, I have no idea what those are for. He said, this is for every time I have read through the whole Bible. And that made an impression on me. And I was very comfortable with the fact that I had accomplished reading through the whole Bible myself, at least once before in my life. But here was a man who simply exuded godliness. I mean, he just was a godly man. And right in front of me, I believe, was one of the core reasons why. Because one day he had started reading his Bible and he had just never stopped. And he told me there was nothing better I could do to become more like Christ than just simply to start reading the Bible and never stop. And I took his advice and I uh, have never stopped reading through the Word of God. And I, and I want to give you a challenge today. And I debated whether or not to, to do this with you because you don't really know me very well yet and I don't know you all that well yet, but I decided this was important. I think this is a worthy challenge. And if you're not doing it already, I am going to challenge you to start reading through the Word of God. Now, I know we've all got favorite books of the Bible. We all have certain passages that we go to again and again. And uh, hopefully when I or somebody else is preaching or teaching that you'll open up your Bible and you'll follow along there in God's Word. But I want to challenge you to read the whole thing. I think back to these love letters. Okay, oops. Well, I'll pick that up later. Don't know what that is. Uh, what if Jeannie had only read one or two of these? I, I would have been hurt. And there's a lot of stuff I would have told her that she never would have heard. Well, God has sent 66 love letters to us, and he wants us to read it all. Not just a little bit of it. He wants us to read the whole thing. Now, some of you, I'm sure, have read through, maybe a lot of you have, read through the whole Bible before, and I'm going to ask you to, to start doing it again. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, have started with good intentions. I can remember the first few times I started reading through the Bible. Genesis was pretty good. I like Genesis. And uh, Exodus was, was interesting, but then you get into Leviticus and Numbers, and you get into all these these and nows and begats, and pretty soon it wasn't quite so much fun anymore, and I quit. And I am not going to give you a plan to read through the whole Bible in a year, because I know what will happen. It's really not that hard. It only takes about three chapters a day to read through the Bible in a year. But what happens is, sooner or later, you're going to miss a day. And you go, oh, my goodness, I didn't read. Okay, tomorrow, i got to read six chapters tomorrow. Well, okay, that's, that's a good bit, but you could probably do it. But then you're going to miss two or three days. And you go, oh, man, i got to read 9, 12. i got to read 15 chapters. And pretty soon you'll get so overwhelmed that you'll just quit, and you'll be right back to where you started from. So I have a different plan. And I think in your bulletin this morning, uh, you got this. It's, a, it's called a Bible, personal Bible reading checklist. And I hope that every person in the church can pick up one of these. If you didn't get one in your bulletin, I think hopefully there'll be some more out there in the lobby someplace. I'm not sure just where. 
And it's not a plan to read through the Bible in any kind of timetable. Instead, it's just simply a way to keep track of what you've read at any pace, okay, in whatever order you decide to read it. And inside, it's just a checklist there where you can see every chapter of the Bible. And you can just read a chapter and just check it off. You can read wherever you want and just check it off. And it's as simple as that. And you can read through the whole thing in six months. You can read through the whole thing in a year. You can read through the whole thing in three years. It doesn't really matter. I remember one time I gave this challenge uh, to a church, uh, Central Manor, uh, years ago. And a few weeks later, this guy came up to me and said, I did it. I said, you did what? I read through the whole thing in three weeks. Yeah, he did three weeks. Well, I can read a good novel in a whole lot less time than that. So I'm not saying that's what you have to do. But the point is to be working your way through the Word of God, love letters that have been written to you, and you don't want to miss a thing. Now, the late Dr. R.G. Lee, he was a pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, He said, the Bible is a book above and beyond all other books. As a river is beyond a rivulet, as the sun is beyond a candle in brightness, as the wings of an eagle above the wings of a sparrow in strength, it is supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in value, immeasurable in influence, infinite in scope, divine in authorship, human in penmanship, regenerative in power, unfallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, and inspired in totality. The Bible is the book that has walked more paths, traveled more highways, knocked on more doors, spoken to more people and their mother tongue than any other book the world has ever known or ever will know. And John Wesley once said, oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be, he said, a man of the book. Now that's a noble goal for us, uh, to make us people of the book, to make this church a church of the book, to make us families that are families of the book, to make us men and women and, and boys and girls who love the book of God. And may those who know us, if they don't know anything else about us, know that we are the people of the book. Now, I told you I was going to give you a challenge, and I debated about asking you to do this or not. But there's something about actually expressing a commitment. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you if you're willing to commit yourself to reading the Bible regularly, to, to stand up. And I, oh, man, that's old-fashioned. Should I have to do that or not, you know? But you know, something good about doing that. And what I'm going to ask you to do is not to commit to reading it in a year or two years, but just to commit to reading it on a regular basis. And you can use this. I encourage you to use this if you want. If you want to do something else, that's fine as well. The goal is to read a little bit every day, but I know that you're going to miss some days. I miss some days, okay? You will too. I'm not asking for perfection, but if you are willing to commit yourself to reading God's Word on a regular basis Would you just let me know and just stand up right where you are? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you look down and you see our hearts. Lord, we're here today because I believe you want us to be here. And this book that we've been looking at this morning is, is your book. 
And Lord, you want us to know it. You want us to read it. You want us to fall in love with it all over again. And Lord, I thank you for this church, a church that is built upon and committed to your word. And Lord, may that never change. And Lord, I I pray for all those who are here today who are standing, who desire to follow your word with all their hearts. Lord, help us to recommit ourselves to reading your word. Lord, help us to do it every day. And Lord, if we miss a day, just help us to pick up again the next day and, and to spend our time with you. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that you'll see us through. We thank you for the future that you have for us. I thank you for the future you have for this church as they continue to to follow you with all their heart. So Lord, make us men and women of your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. You're dismissed.